Welcome to Push Rim Life After Injury Podcast for July 19, 2013, Episode 29, Psychological Perspectives. I'm Ray Pizarro. I'm Boris Del Cid. And I'm Richard Bell. We'd like to thank our community once again for being with us. Uh, on this episode, we're going to be talking about the psychological perspectives of spinal uh, cord injuries. Um, and with that, we have a special guest that we brought in that's going to be able to uh, enlighten us and talk a little bit about her experiences with spinal cord injury patients. Um, but before I do that, I'm going to go ahead and give you a little background on who she is. Uh, Dr. Sarah Fraley is a staff psychologist at the Long Beach VA uh, Health System. She has provided psychological services in the spinal cord injury slash disorder service for the past eight years. Uh, she's also the director of the SEI peer mentoring program at the VA. She received her uh, doctoral degree from the University of Iowa in counseling psychology and lived in California since 2003. So with that, we welcome Sarah Fraley to the show. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, oh. Dr. Fraley, thank you very much also for having us as your guest at the social hour at the SCI Peer Mentoring Program at uh, the VA Hospital. It, it was great yeah, to have you guys. That was nice. That was fun. And I'll be asking you to come back. Thank you. <laughs> no, yeah, we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. I know it could be really hectic at work and with meetings and just seeing everyone there. So we're going to start off by uh, maybe going down the list and uh, talking about, you know, asking you a few questions that are that are kind of poignant and bullet points, if you will, about SCI and and the psyche. So the first question I want to ask you is, what is the role of a psych um, of psychology within a rehabilitation setting after SCI? Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's definitely different than um, if a person seeks out psychological services um, for a specific mental health problem. So, you know, somebody coming in to uh, see an outpatient therapist. So, first of all, at least at, at the Long Beach VA, um, the psychologist is an integral member of the treatment team. So that team includes uh, physicians, nurses, social workers, uh, rehab therapists, and others working, you know, towards this global treatment plan. Um, so we're not just a consult service. We're there, you know, to meet with anybody who comes through our doors. Um, so it's more kind of normalized, you know. It's not because they have a problem. It's because we see everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so my particular role is not... Um, to really do intensive psychotherapy. So some people wonder, oh, you know, she's going to pick my brain and, you know, I don't, I'm not really interested in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, you know, what I'm there to do is, um, really identify and treat any psych- psychological barriers that might be there that could prevent the person from taking full advantage of the physical therapies that they're really there to do. So that's really their main purpose in being there in rehab. Mm-hmm. So um, oftentimes, you know, there's that window of opportunity for a physical um, gain or, or recovery. And if there's a psychological barrier that could get in the way of that person really participating fully and being motivated for those therapies, then we want to make sure we're addressing that as, as they're going through therapy. Great. So. Excellent. Yeah. Um, next question I have is um, how would you address the patient who, you know, is newly injured and is just told they'll never walk again? Yeah, it's it's a great question and, and one that definitely comes up. Um, and I would say that as much as possible, I, I'm really there to sort of meet the person where they are. Um, so, you know, to listen, to process what they're thinking and feeling at that time. Um, and I also try not to assume that that... Um, 
uh, type of, of news for them is necessarily negative or positive. So for some people, um, you know, I mean, people react in very different ways. So for some people, getting that type of news actually makes them feel more motivated for therapies and say, okay, if there's a chance, I'm going to put my all into this, mm. you know? Um, so if you assume that, oh, this is the worst news in the world for you, <laughs> right? right. It, it's not the right assumption for every person. Um, but then of course, for other people, you know, it, it, um, does make them feel more depressed or, or more hopeless. Um, and, you know, motivation for therapy um, if they feel like it's not going to help anyway. So I think, okay, why, why do the therapy, you know, if I'm not going to walk? So it's really individual. And I think, you know, a lot of people going through that, that process in the hospital, they have their support people there and their, you know, friends and family who might be saying, come on, you know, have, have some hope and everything's going to be fine. You're going to be fine, you know? And so my role on, on the team is to be at least one person in their life at that time that's not trying to make it all better. You know, that's not trying to rescue them from that right. feeling and just let them feel whatever they're going to feel. And we all were and be there. Okay with that. And we all were there at that time. You guys yeah. remember when the doc came in and was like, yo, yeah. this is permanent. Mm-hmm. I have to apologize because I wasn't very nice. But not <laughs> to you, but to, you know, the like, one who saw me. Yeah. I was, I was yeah. pretty. Anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> so my next question is, um, um, what is yeah. PTSD and is it, um, something that occurs in a civilian who's had a traumatic accident. And if so, how is it different from someone who's on the battlefield who suffers that condition? Right, right. Well, it's a really big question. Um, and, you know, obviously there, there's been a lot of attention in the media on PTSD um, with all the service members coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan. And it's really been um, in the news a lot. And, you know, a lot of those folks have been through multiple traumas. So we, we hear a lot about it, but basically it's, um, it's categorized as an anxiety disorder. Um, and, uh, basically it's a situation where a person has experienced a life threatening event or, or trauma. Um, so that could be anything from a physical injury, a sexual assault, um, a natural disaster, you know, earthquake, hurricane, whatever, or even witnessing another person being injured. So it doesn't even have to ha- happen to you in wow. order to get PTSD. Um, so there has to be that initial trauma. Um, and then basically to, to kind of progress to PTSD, that anxiety has to kind of continue after the initial sort of aftermath of the trauma. So usually the criteria is like one month. So if you're still experiencing that, you know, really intense anxiety a month after your trauma, then, you know, you're kind of moving towards PTSD. Um, so the, the symptoms, um, some, you know, maybe familiar, but, um, one, one sort of category of symptoms would be re-experiencing the trauma. So that's things like flashbacks or nightmares oh, yeah. or Night just like terrors. intrusive thoughts coming in that you just can't get rid of. Um, the second thing would be avoidance. So like basically avoiding things that might remind you of the trauma, you know, so, um, a lot of veterans, um, have actually avoided coming to the VA ever since they were discharged from the military because they didn't want anything that reminded them of the military. Because that wow. was related to their trauma. Um, and sometimes they come, you know, 20, 30 years later and then they're like, oh, it's not so bad, <laughs> you know, but, um, so there's that avoidance. And then there's the last sort of cluster of symptoms is physiological reactivity. So that's things like chronic sleep problems, um, irritability or anger, um, uh, hypervigilance. So like 
you know, you're alert, aware of everything in the room, you're, you're on guard, right? Um, or that jumpiness, like there's a loud sound and you just, you just jump. Um, so, you know, some people don't meet full criteria for PTSD, but they still have some of those symptoms and they're still really distressing to them. So right. sometimes like, oh, well, you don't, you don't really have PTSD, but even if you have some of those symptoms, you deserve treatment and, you know, there are things that can be helpful. Um, in terms of the, the kind of second part of your question in terms of combat versus civilian life, um, we certainly have veterans at, at our VA that have been through, um, one or the other. So they're not all people that were injured during their service time. Um, but I think the main difference is that for service members, um, especially those who've been deployed and are in a combat area, um, their lives are basically at risk 24 hours a day. Right. So even, even for, um, people who are not in a combat role, they're in like a combat support role. And uh, most of the female, um, service members are in those types of roles. They can still be exposed to multiple traumas, you know, and it's like every day there could be something, you know, they're in a, a risky area, you know. So there is something very different about being in the chronic situation of like that continual exposure. To, right, to right. having your life at risk versus a one-time traumatic incident. Okay, gotcha. So that kind of makes it um, different. Um, also for female veterans, um, you know, there's the issue of military sexual trauma, um, which, you know, is is different in many ways from sexual trauma that might happen in civilian life, um, particularly because there are a lot of reasons that people wouldn't report that while in the military. Right. You know, they don't want to have people not believe them or, um, you know, have some sort of negative consequence happen. They might be kicked out or they might be, you know, treated differently or, you know, so, um, a lot of times that isn't reported and, um, you know, that's, that's very prevalent, unfortunately. Mm. So, you know, sometimes we'll have people who, um, you know, have their SCI, we're seeing them for that, but they may have had a trauma earlier in their lives and going through the SCI and feeling like, many things are out of their control can trigger some of those earlier, yeah, that traumatic distress. I could see that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so for women, you know, if, if they have been through that military, um, sexual trauma that, that, um, can happen too. Um, the other thing I was going to say is that, um, it's actually kind of surprising. So thinking about the trauma of SCI, um, and what a huge change that is for people. And, you know, you're dealing with pain, you're dealing with being in the hospital, but the incidence of PTSD for people, um, with SCI because of the SCI is only about 6%, which is similar to, you know, um, having PTSD from a different type of trauma. So that's pretty similar. Um, but depression on the other hand, you didn't ask about that, but that's one of the other, you know, kind of big things that we deal with in terms of, you know, psychological diagnoses, um, is more prevalent for people with SCI. So, um, the rate for the general population is about 5%, but it's about 25 for people with SCI. Interesting. So that's quite a bit higher. So people are more likely if they're going to have, you know, a more significant, clinically significant, um, psychological problem, it's more likely to be depression than, than, um, PTSD or anxiety. Okay. That's good to know. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I, I have a question. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. it is. It is. Mm -hmm. Um, how long can, can an SCI individual be psychologically afflicted by Mm -hmm. that, uh, Mm -hmm. by their physical injury? Yeah. Well, um, obviously it's different for everyone. And I think it psychologically changes you forever. You know, um, 
And I think some people, um, you know, it's a lifetime negative change, you know, that, that, um, they somehow don't find a, a effective way of coping mm. psychologically, um, ever. But the majority of people, um, do come to a place where they feel like, you know, that new normal, um, of their life is something they, they can cope with. And, um, you know, they find ways to be satisfied, um, with their lives. And, um, in, in thinking about that, um, just in my personal experience, it seems like the people that do really find a way to be satisfied with their lives are the people that can identify something that is um, meaningful or important to them in their lives. And it may be similar to something that they found important before their injury and maybe something completely new, but you know, it could be work, it could be school, it could be, um, volunteer, um, activities, it could be involvement with a church community, um, other creative pursuits, you know, but something that really, that they're passionate about. And that could probably help divert, you know, their focus on the actual situation a little bit. Right. Well, it's, it's more like, um, you know, your life uh, doesn't have to be about the injury. Right. And what else do I want my life to be about? You know, what's important? What do I care about? Right. Yeah. So it's you know. really important for someone to like become more socially integrated, like quickly after the injury, as opposed to, you know, sitting at home alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, um, I think, again, people are different. I feel like I'm saying that for every question. <laughs> Everybody is different. But, um, you know, some people are naturally not as social. Right. You know, and so before their injury, they weren't social. We wouldn't expect them to be more social after. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. people's personalities don't change that much. But um, but I, I think, first of all, a lot of, a lot of things happen in terms of that transition between being discharged from the hospital and going home. Right. Right. So, you know, you're getting used to caregivers, you're getting used to family members adjusting, you know, um, children, you know, just all those dynamics happening. And, um, so I think it really takes time to get used to that new routine and just kind of saying, okay, you know, I think I got a handle on this now, you know, and I think that time frame is different for Mm -hmm. most people. Um, so I wouldn't be able to say like what's normal for that, you know, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, while patients are in rehab at our VA, um, they, you know, as part of their treatment plan for acute rehab, they do go on outings, um, with different therapists. So we have recreation therapy involved and also, um, uh, usually occupational therapy. Um, and so, you know, they do things that are kind of functional and things that are enjoyable. So, you know, they'll go across the street to Ralph's to the grocery store and have that experience and they'll take a bus ride, you know, for the first time and, um, go to angels games, you know, so to have that experience, you know, being out in the community for the first time, you know, with their their disability, you know, yeah. Um, but you know, in terms of kind of like, barreling out into life and saying, okay, I'm going to have my life now. You know, I think you kind of have that initial letdown when you get home from the hospital and then right. it's like, okay, now, let's get on with the next thing. <laughs> in, in how, how does, um, um, peer interaction, um, help or, um, mm-hmm. allow us to, uh, to deal with this psychological injury. Mm-hmm. You being, uh, in, in the peer, uh, interaction that, program. Yeah. Sure, you have a good perspective on it. Yeah. Um, well, I, you know, thinking about like community integration, you know, made me kind of think about that and the role of peer support. Um, so I've, I've had people tell me that, um, 
you know, after they got into their routine at home, um, they still weren't really like living life. Yeah. You know, I mean, they were doing okay. Mm-hmm. You know, they weren't terribly depressed. They weren't, you know, but they just were kind of there, you know. Right. Um, and it actually took an experienced SCI person to say, come on, we're going to the movies. Or we're going, you know, like yes. literally like dragging. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. And saying like, it's not going to be so bad. Um, I used to drag Richard. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, people tell me that all right. the time, you know. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think that the other thing too is that, um, most people who experience an SCI and are in the hospital, first of all, um, have not ever spent much time in a hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, most people are like, oh, you know, what's this going to be like? And it's all yeah. new. Um, but then also, they usually haven't had any personal experience with disability at all. So there's like no clue as to what that life could really be like. And that's yeah. uh, actually you know? leads, leads into my other question um, mm-hmm. is, is do you find that the internet and social networking a good tool to help mm-hmm. people not mm-hmm. feeling so isolated and closed in? Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and do you know any good ones? <laughs> I think I might've heard okay. of one <laughs> locally based, <laughs> um, but you know, I, I think that, um, we're, we're kind of spoiled at the VA because we do have this, um, you know, this, this great SCI center that's one of the biggest ones in the VA system. And so we have this community of, of VA, um, you know, veteran SCI individuals who know each other, you know, they see each other when they're coming in for outpatient therapies. They do activities together. We've got, you know, social things going on at, at the hospital. Um, so, you know, we, we have that support there. Um, and you know, also California is very, has very disability friendly weather, you know, and it's, it's more accessible than, than other people. Well, I've had people Mm -hmm. that, you know, they, they relocated out here after, after they were injured, you know, because, because of the STI center and because of the weather, but, um, mostly the weather, (laughs) right. That helps. But yeah, but, but, you know, there, there are also people who live in rural areas or people who live in places that are just not as physically or architecturally accessible. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, to people with disabilities and. Do you want to? So they don't, they don't leave their, <laughs> they don't leave kidding. their homes as often, you know? Right. And so for those people in particular, I think it's so right. important to have this lifeline, you right. know? And that's what push room can be. It's a lifeline for somebody that, it feels like they're the only person going through this or, mm, right. or maybe they have a lot of support around, but those people don't really know about disability. Right. You have know? that community around. Yeah. So, so that's frustrating. Yeah. So even if it's one person that they end up kind of talking with mm. or getting some tips from or whatever, you know, um, even knowing that there's one person there that they could reach out to. Right. And also, uh, uh, in transition to that, it, the SCI peer mentor program, um, is called the social hour. Can you briefly tell us about that? Well, yeah. So, um, two years ago, I created our program, um, using input from other peer mentor programs around the country. So there are a few other ones, um, out there. So what we wanted to do was provide a more structured, um, way for that peer support to happen. Cause it happens informally a lot, you know, people yeah. just, they're waiting for their, their ride home and, you know, they end Run up talking to the guy 
next to him, you know, or girl, <laughs> woman. Um, so we have, um, we have about 12 mentors that I put through a mentor training program and, um, we use them in, in several different ways. So first, um, new injury patients who are there for acute rehab can ask to be assigned to a mentor who has a similar level of injury mm-hmm. and they might just meet with them once, you know, for just a one-on-one or they might continue meeting with them regularly after they leave the hospital. It just kind of depends on how well they fit, you know, and if they like each other and, you know, makes sense. Yeah. 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 Um, and then, um, we also uh, have mentors who sit in on our weekly support group um, that we have. That's a, a small group. Um, and then all of our inpatient rehab folks are required to attend um, like a new injury class that it's more informational. And so we have mentors come to that as well to kind of talk about the program and, mm-hmm. you know, just give like the five minute version of their injury story. And, I like, I like the way you say, um, yeah. social hour because support group has a bad stigma amongst right. people, especially right. if they're not right. educated on what it is. Exactly. So the, the social hour actually is different. So that's mm-hmm. a, a once a month thing and it's a bigger event. So mm-hmm. you guys have been to that one and mm-hmm. we have like an invited speaker. Um, so sometimes it's, people from the community like you guys. Um, sometimes it's one of our SCI veterans um, just kind of giving an extended version of their story and what their life is like now, you know, mm-hmm. and then we have time for kind of socializing and networking, um, providing mm-hmm. other information, you know, and mm-hmm. that's, that's where, where I really see like the, the mentoring happening because mm-hmm. after everybody's finished with the microphone and mm-hmm. whatever, you know, you see these little, Pairs, these people getting together and talking, you know, right, it's like, right. oh, good, that guy's talking to somebody. You know? It's true. No, yeah. it's awesome. Dr. Friley, I, I, I can't help to see that, uh, throughout this, this conversation, your, your, your face lights up. And, and, and how this, how's, how's working with SCI, uh, people, uh, uh, I guess change uh, the outlook mm-hmm, of your, mm-hmm. your life and, yeah. uh, right on, along those lines and, what would you say has been the most rewarding part of your career as a professional mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, dedicated to SCI uh, yeah. individuals? Um, well, yeah, I, I love this question. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I, I think, you know, mostly it's, it's raised my awareness of disability issues in general and just helped me have a broad view of um, how to make important things in life accessible to any individual. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was thinking about this. I remember a patient that I had, um, when I was an intern. So I, I did my internship like the last year of my doctoral program at the VA. And, um, I met with this patient and he referred to me as a tab. And I said, what's that? And he said, it's a temporarily able-bodied person. And mm-hmm. I said, Oh, and that kind of like blew my mind. <laughs> You know, I was like, whoa, okay. And so he talked more about it. Um, but, but the truth is like everyone on this planet, if they live long enough, will experience some sort of functional limitation or disability. Right. You know, just statistically that's, um, you know, so it's really a, a universal issue. Um, and, you know, also thinking about how it's sort of affected me, um, I think my professional work has absolutely affected how um, I'm raising my son and educating him on disability and, um, and difference. So, you know, having a disability is another way of being different. And, you know, it's important to respect people's differences and 
you know, kind of understand them and, mm-hmm. you know. That's very nice where you could share that um, with other people like family because they also are curious about it and, and. Absolutely. It's an educational process. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering oh. if, um, if he wouldn't mind if I stole that term, tab. Oh, not at all. Because, uh, <laughs> it's not copyrighted. I, I, I think we're going to be all using it today. Yeah. Well, well, Dr. Fraley, Excellent. I mean, I mean, th- all this stuff is really, I mean, we, we could sit here for two hours talking Absolutely. about such of these great, great conversation with you, <laughs> yes. but I didn't know all this. We could do part two, maybe. Yeah, later. we That's can true. do yeah, yeah. part two because we might need that because there was a lot of great information you were able to share with our community awesome. and we learned some stuff today as, as far as, Yay. you know, all these great questions yeah. you had and and again we want to thank you for taking time out to uh, you know to 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 be part of our our show and our community and uh, any particular place people could maybe look up some information about the VA or yourself or anything or? Ooh, that's a really good question I should have a website available <laughs> um, you know Google the Long Beach VA okay SCI Center you okay. know like I said it's one of the biggest ones within the VA system um, so you know we were always looking to improve things and, mm-hmm. you know, um, part of that, you know, which, um, uh, going back to, to your question, Boris, in terms of what's rewarding for me, you know, the, the peer mentor program is, is something I'm really proud of. And, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like it's, it's something that, you know, none of the staff can provide, right? right? We, mm-hmm. we can't provide that experience of right, being in right. your shoes, you know? Right. And, um, so that's something that I'm, I'm really looking to, to build, you know, and, and find other ways to use our mentors. Good and, for you. We, we so applaud absolutely. you for that. Yes. Thank you for doing Thank that. Thank you very much, especially for wow. these veterans that are so uh, so dear to all of us uh, yeah. for what they've done and uh, they've given, um, you know, their lives and their lives for, yeah. for us. So, yeah, thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Appreciate that. So You're rich. Care of people who take care of us. <laughs> I, I believe you guys know where to reach us, but just in case, we're at um, our YouTube channel. Club Push Room. That's one word. You just go on YouTube and type that in the search bar and we'll pop up. And for the social media one is pushroom.com. That's right. That's where everyone makes connections with each other and, and learn, picks up ideas and makes new friends. And also check us out on iTunes. We're also there. And any information you guys want to talk about, I mean, leave a comment down below. Uh, if you guys want to reach us directly, you can reach us at info at pushroom.com with any show topics or you know, creative ideas for so we can make our show a lot better for you guys. And again, remember, there's always life after injury. Get out there and live life. Uh, team up with friends and, and learn from each other. And it's going to take you a long way into getting your independence back and, you know, living your life. That, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. So we thank you guys for having us. Thank you, Dr. Fraley, for being Thanks with us. Thanks a lot, us. you guys. Thanks a lot. And we'll, yeah, we'll do it again. Thank we'll you for all the work that you do. Go. You're welcome. And uh, so we see you guys once again on our next episode. Thank you. Peace out. All right. Bye. Bye.